0: If you love all things gardening, why not join us at our spring fair from the 3rd to the 5th of May at Bewley in Hampshire. You'll find everything you need to kickstart the season. Find out more at bbcgardener'sworldfair.com. See you there. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. This episode is brought to you by the Inspire Collection by Kalia. Just because you're working out doesn't mean you shouldn't look fabulous. The Inspire Collection by Kalia was designed with both style and performance in mind. It looks good, feels good, and stays put no matter how you move. And the collection has everything you need for a day at the gym. A support bra, crop tanks, bike shorts, amazing leggings, and more. It's their most versatile collection yet. Shop the Inspire Collection by Kalia now, exclusively at Dick's Sporting Goods. Hello, and welcome to the BBC Gardeners World Magazine podcast, brought to you by the team here at the magazine. Join us as we chat all things gardening with the nation's favourite experts. Do the children in your family enjoy being in the garden? Perhaps they tend a patch of their own or simply love to just spend time playing outdoors? But what if children are reluctant to go outside, unable to resist the lure of a screen or TV? What do you do then? Hello, I'm Kevin and I'm chatting to Alan Titchmarsh about why it's vital to excite children about nature and the natural world and why gardening is the way to get them outside. I started by asking Alan about his own childhood memories of
1: gardening. Well, I've got a photo. So I suppose the memory is triggered by the photo, and you think, I can remember it. I, I remember being there. I can see it. Um, and, and then you think, yes, can you really? Or is it the photo that's giving you the image that you, you're feeding on? But I have a picture of my grandfather, um, and the year would have been about 1950. 51. Uh, And my grandfather with a black drill bin, a walrus moustache and a waistcoat and a tie is leading me underneath His sweet peas, grown-up bean poles, and there are dangling tin lids from Cadbury's cocoa. It's obviously taken with something like a brown, a box brownie. It would have been taken with a tiny black and white photo. What what were the what were the tin lids for? Were they? Well, they were there to frighten sparrows. Yeah, stop them from eating his his sweet pea flowers, which he grew for my granny. Uh, So that, and I can remember. And (laughs) things we used to put children in. Then I've got little. I'm only about eighteen inches high, forty-five centimeters high, and I've got. Baggy bloomers on, you know, little boy with baggy bloomers. Um, so I must have been uh, barely one walking or well, one and a half walking through this row of sweet peas. And I can remember because I can still see the chocolate tins glinting in the sun. And I remember his allotment so well. Um, now he died when I was eight. My dad took it over then. Um, but I, I can remember he had a big sunken, uh, an old washing copper filled with soot water sunk in one corner of the allotment, and that was his pesticide. You you sprayed it on your cabbages to keep the butterflies off, which meant all the cabbages were covered in blacks. <laughs> black <laughs> fluid. You didn't really want to eat them, they were all covered in soot, but they weren't eaten by caterpillars. Um,
0: well, it did the job in one respect, didn't it? For sure. Oh, and
1: he had, the other thing, he had um, uh, blackberries growing over brass bedsteads, which was wonderful, at the bottom of the allotment. They'd got a new divan, so he took the brass bedsteads off the old stuck bedst- I mean the allotment, trained his blackberries, brass knobs sticking out. It's a classic black brick plantation. It takes
0: shabby chic and recycling to a whole new level.
1: That does even it back did. then, doesn't it? Yeah, real. Cla- my my granddad invented shabby chic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my earliest memory. And being in the little back garden, we lived in a little terrace house, which had uh, not even a backyard really. It had a strip about a yard wide where my dad would park his bike, and then the back, which was a rough track, and then the garden was beyond that. And it was about, I suppose. 15 feet wide by 40 feet long, which is the same sort of size as my first garden when we got married. And mum used to garden in there until I got keen and made a little polythene greenhouse and started taking it over. I was going to ask, you
0: know, I mean, were you, um, we've
1: talked about your earliest memory in a garden, but
0: what about actually beginning to garden? I mean, I'm guessing in the early days, you know, like any other uh, nipper, you know, the, the garden was about playing, being outside and just having some outside time. But what about actually beginning to garden who who encouraged that and where did that come from
1: well my mum did she was quite keen my dad never did i could never work out why by the time i'd become a gardener professionally it was only then that he admitted to me that he didn't become a gardener because his father and his grandfather had both been gardeners. My dad became a plumber and they made him weed and gave him a penny a bucket full. And he thought, this is no job for a man. I'm not going to do this (laughs) 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 for (laughs) living weeding. So mum encouraged me, I suppose. I remember the first thing I did, apart from, I was always interested in nature and gardening is a part of nature and grew out of it. I remember... I was born after the war, I was born in 1949, but we had loads of blackout material. And I used to get a big sheet of blackout material, which is just black cloth, and go on the lawn and cover myself in this blackout material, make a hole in it, lie still and wait for birds to come. And I it was a hide. I made a bird hide out of black blackout material. So you are a, a
0: twitcher. I was
1: (laughs) a twitcher before I was a gardener. Uh, But then I just started. I used to go to Woolworths and buy packets of bees and Cuthbert seeds and sow them. And I remember the first seeds I said were mesembryanthemums. The hardest thing was learning to say the name because it's quite long. And I could see this little patch of earth that I scattered these seeds on now. And every day I would go out there to see if they'd come up. And eventually they did come up. And they came up with my father's boot print in the middle of them. So they grew up these mesembrianthemums with a footprint shape in the middle where the seedlings he'd crushed didn't grow. I can see that now and I can still see tiny seedlings of mesembrianthemum which have got sort of speckles in them which are silver because they sort of refract the light and if you look at a seedling of a a Livingston daisy and mesembrianthemum you see these little tiny glistening bits of silver and, and a little red stalk and I remember being desperately disappointed that when I sowed a packet of alisum seeds from the picture on the packet, they looked as big as hydrangeas. <laughs> and of course and they you've weren't. got this tidy little thing. They're only thing, three but... inches high. <laughs> That's my first uh, indication that never trust what it says on the packet or never trust the illustration. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and were you, you know, were you hooked straight away? I mean...
0: Uh, it would be a romantic, romantic notion to say yes. The minute I sowed those first seeds, I knew I was going to have a life of gardening ahead of me. Uh,
1: what
0: was well, it I like that, or was uh, I, it a slow a
1: slow burner? No, it was almost instant. I didn't know I was going to have a, garden, a life of gardening ahead, but I really hoped I would. I, yeah, I decided there and then that this is because they came up. This is key. I wonder if those seeds had never come up. Those first two packets I'd sowed, I'd probably gone away and done something completely different. But they grew, and then I read about taking cuttings. I thought, well, you need you cut a bit off and you stick it in and roots come. And I did. And maybe if that hadn't rooted, I wouldn't have, but they did. And so I was hooked, totally hooked from that first moment, built this little polythene greenhouse from bits of old timber and polythene and had a spider plant and false castor oil and some geraniums and just totally there from being about eight. That was it. No, yeah. Never any um, desire to do anything else with my spare time. I just longed to leave school and go and do it for a living. Just yeah. that was it. Yeah, I mean was there
0: anything that you you didn't like when you were gardening as a youngster? It sounds like the magic of the whole
1: thing just captured you entirely. But well I think when you're little, when you're young, you only do what you want to do anyway, Don't unless your parents make you do something. And mine didn't make me because my mum quite liked gardening. So I suppose I could just choose to do the things I wanted to do. But once I got going with the seeds and the cuttings, uh, it was just growing things, really. I certainly wasn't into design in those early days. I didn't design a garden. It, it was a square or a rectangular piece of lawn with a board around it. And before that, there'd been a bit of a cabbage patch on it. But I knew I always was into the beautiful side of it. I've always own stuff to eat but it's making something beautiful which is the big um attraction for me of gardening is making a beautiful view I something which feeds my soul
0: you know i completely understand i when whenever i'm talking to uh, to my friends about the garden i always say well as long as it looks okay from the back window um i'm happy so yeah, <laughs> you know, if, if you've got something beautiful to look at, it's 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 what it's all about,
1: isn't it? And don't underestimate that. I mean, a lot of people. It's interesting. People who are not into gardening often regard it as something quite trivial. And I always keep making this point about it's the sharp end of conservation and environmental care. If everybody looked after that patch of earth and tended it and left it in better heart than they did when they arrived, it would do so much for the planet. You know, going on marches doesn't. It, it wakes people up to the need to do something, but it doesn't actually make a Difference to the the status quo, the thing you want to make a difference to, it just wakens other people up to it. But as well as doing that, you should be out there making it better yourself, your little bit. Quite, quite. Um, okay.
0: Now I remember just uh, just a while ago, you said, "Oh, when I had my first garden of my own, um, and you you know you talked about the size of it." Now um, I wondered if I could just ask you about what it was like when your own family came along because obviously you you gardened as a youngster but then once you've got children as your own I know this I now have a daughter (laughs) who's 10 uh who who I try to garden with um but what what role did your your garden play when you when you had children of your own
1: the most important thing I thought was i desperately don't want to put them off it. If I go at this hammer and tongs, you know, and really push them, they'll turn away. It's like butterflies. You know, if you're in a garden and you want a a butterfly, wait, stand where you are and it'll come to you. You know, children are a bit like that rather than chasing after it and just run away. Um, And I thought, I really don't want to put them off. So... I made sure that they always had a good time in the garden. We played in the garden a lot. And if they found a worm or an insect or a butterfly, we'd talk about it. And I'd, but I'd be aware that the moment would come, the glazed look would <laughs> stop now, Alan, move on to something else. So I was always quite careful. And of course, every spring, Dad, can we have a piece of garden? I've got two daughters and they're two years apart. So from being sort of five and six and that sort of age, can we have a piece of garden? Yes, of course you can. And I made sure I gave them, the best piece of earth in the garden, not that dry-rooted bit under a tree where nothing will ever grow and you'll turn them off it for life if you try and get them to garden there. So I gave them a bit and of course, that was it. for, a, And for a next week or so, they'd be quite keen and then they'd forget all about it. And I, I thought, now, do I just keep saying, no, you haven't looked after that bit of garden? No. At that age, it then becomes a chore. If I just keep pointing out beautiful things to them, pretty things keep giving them this good time fast forward <laughs> 20 odd yeah. years um and i've ended up with two daughters who both say they couldn't live anywhere that wasn't green and who both now have a garden one has a largest garden the other one has a small garden but they both love it and they've both now got children of their own and they're in the, they don't, don't either of my daughters knows a latin name That doesn't matter to me. That wasn't the aim. I didn't need them to become professional gardeners. I just needed them to grow up with an appreciation of and a respect for the importance of the landscape and the little bit of landscape that they're the steward of or the custodian of for their length of time. And that's worked. And they both said they can't live anywhere that wasn't green. So I thought, job done, tick box. Um, And they love coming here and the grandchildren come here as well. So that's all I want. You can't, I don't want everybody I meet to become a gardener. I just want to give them the opportunity. But you can't force people. But what I hope that can do with everybody is just give them an appreciation of it. Yeah. Now, I know you
0: said uh, that the first thing to do was encourage them to have fun. And I get that. But did you ever have to compromise? Because my daughter is desperate. If, if, if she could, she'd have a trampoline, she'd have a slide, she'd have swings, she'd have a paddling pool out all the time. You know, we'd have swing ball, we'd have the lot. And my beautiful garden would not look beautiful. <laughs> did you ever have to compromise? How did you accommodate all of those childhood
1: requests? I am so grateful that my two daughters were born before trampolines were invented, garden trampolines. They were before that phase, you know, which was pretty hot on their heels when they were growing up. That By the time the trampoline came in, they had just grown out of it you know they got into their teens and all right it, but it's generally the sort of you know eight nine tens who want the trampoline or younger than that as well so mercifully i escaped the trampoline we did have a swing i just tried to make sure that everything in the garden uh, fitted the garden and was 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 beautiful as well it wasn't you know pink plastic which is very hard to fit in i did make a wooden swing which funny enough i put it in the garden i made it chelsea flower show then brought it home and put it in the garden so it was a nice looking one i made them a treehouse, they went into it three times, <laughs> but we had a bit of land at Barleywoody, you see, so they could run around. And they ran through the the, the top of the garden, which was the wild bit, uh, which was it was an acre of paddock uh, when I started doing Gardeners World, and I turned that into the garden as well because I needed more space to show things on TV. So, but they loved running around, and they would play with uh, dolls and prams and. So they used the garden as a location, really, um, uh, and loved being in it. But that's what I wanted to do was rather than this you know, you see children as they come out the back door and "Mm, I'm not sure about going out there, you know, it's a bit, I didn't want city children in that respect. So that was okay. But yeah. And when the little boys, I mean, the two grandsons now, they're, you know, deeply into mud. If you can give them water (laughs) to go with earth, oh, seventh heaven, that's fine. It's just making them comfortable with outdoors. I think at that age, you can't be too, you know, now this is Hosta Siboldiana Elegance. What? I did have a lovely thing. My, um, Grandson um, was eight, came up to me a couple of months ago and he said, um, Grandpa. So I said, Yes. He said, You're Alan Titchmarsh, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) So I said, Yes. He said, Oh. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. It's the most non-sequitur I've ever had. So, uh, so I felt I felt rather chuffed actually that <laughs> I was him. But I don't know what what he felt. I never asked him why he asked it or anything other. I'm just not going to say. Other than admitting that I am, I didn't so I don't suppose I'll ever know. <laughs> Fascinating what was going on in that little brain. Brilliant.
0: Yeah. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. Um now, I was really interested when you said, you know, with, with your girls growing up, you just wanted them to have that appreciation of nature and, and you know, gardens and landscape and everything else. And I just thinking about, you know, the children and the young people of, of the country more broadly, you know, why do you think it's so vital that our, our young folk are connected to nature and
1: understand it? Well, it's that you know, and it's it's very trite and it's oft said. But you know, they are the future custodians of the landscape, and if we if we don't take care of it, you know, as the Prince of Wales says, you know, our grandchildren will never forgive us um, if we don't take care of it. That and that should be our responsibility to do so. If we don't pass on. Um, the information about its importance, but not in a heavy way, which is why I think with tinies, it's important to get them to feel comfortable out there without necessarily understanding it at that age. Um, It's important to to hand it on in good shape. That's our responsibility. It's also our responsibility to imbue them, not in a heavy-handed way, but in an effective way, to realise what the earth does for them. It supports them entirely. And it's not an onerous task to look after it. It's a very responsible one. But from a gardener's point of view, it is a delightful job to be able to look after a piece of land, to make it beautiful, to let it function, to encourage wildlife, to make it a piece of living, breathing, healthy earth. And there's no more valuable or valued job on earth, however tiny your garden is, than leaving it in good heart when you shuffle off your mortal coil at the other end. And it's important that in a world which is filled with technology, IT screens, where most children spend half their day on a screen, and just letting them realise, A, that that bit out there is important, but also that it's actually far more fun than just a bit of perspex, you know. There's so much to do out there.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, who do you think should take the lead on this? It's a, you parents. Know, is it Parents. I mean,
1: parents and schools. I started a small charity about 20 years ago called Gardens for Schools, Alan Titchmosh's Gardens for Schools, making grants to primary schools to make gardens and nature areas. And Alison and I funded it and ran it for a good number of years. And in the end, it got too big for our kitchen table. So we handed it over to become part of the RHS campaign for school gardening. Um, So we sort of were in very much at the start of encouraging primary schools to have gardens and nature areas so that children enjoyed being there. And forests schools have developed since then you know where children go out into a wood or a meadow or whatever as part of their learning it's vitally important it's every bit as important as sums because you know if you can't work out that two and two is four the planet might not come crushing around your ears but if you can't work out what makes plants grow and learn how to grow them it most certainly will and i think it's very important that schools have a duty of care to our children but also a duty to connect them with the landscape, not in a lecturing way, just open their eyes. And we all know those teachers who opened our eyes to excitement, to ladybirds, to butterflies, to lacewings, to dragonflies. And I went out, I took my eight-year-old grandson out. He asked to come. I bought him a butterfly net two years ago, which he loves. We went out on the clifftop uh, on the Isle of Wight looking for butterflies, finding them and naming them. And I told him about, this was one instance where I was going it into it in a bit of depth. And he now, knows the names of, of the the small tortoise shell, the, the red admiral, the peacock, the gatekeeper. And I told him about the Isle of Wight and a butterfly called the Clouded Yellow. And I said, it some summers there's a butterfly which is, you know a brimstone, the one that's got those yellow yes, well this is a really bright, deep yellow. Different colour to a brimstone. It's called a clouded yellow, and it has black tips on its wings. And he was listening to this very avidly and talking about it. I said, but it only comes about every ten years. There's what's called a clouded yellow year. And they come over from Europe and they fly over, and there's loads of them, but some years there are none at all, and other years one or two. And so we went out on our clifftop walk and we, we had about and I was making a note on my mobile phone of what we saw and ticking it, and and there were gazillions of gatekeepers and meadow browns and and speckled woods. And then we're just about to turn around and come home and I'm starting walking back down the path. And he said, Grandpa, look. And he pointed to the middle of this field next door to where we were. And there was a clouded yellow. And I said, it's a clouded I don't know who was more thrilled, him or me, but we were absolutely delighted. And we came home and I said to him when we got back, I said, um, how did that rate then out of 10 he said, three million. And I thought, job done. Magic. Gives them a bit of excitement. Yeah. And I was as excited as he was. And we had such a good day together looking at something. I and mean, him say, you know, you get little things like, you say, is, grandpa, is it true that if you touch a butterfly, it turns into a moth? Um, and things like that, you know. And it just reminds you at what level you're starting and how important it is, that childlike enthusiasm, to keep it alive in yourself. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's... I'm listening to everything
0: you're saying and I think if you can capture them young and capture the imag- imagination and, mm. and have that magic, it's, it's, it's there, isn't it? Um, what about senior age children? That perhaps seems more of a challenge to me. Um, you know, I, I can see how you could perhaps excite, uh, you know, a primary age kid, but is there enough happening in our senior schools? That would be a,
1: an interesting I thought. Think- The important thing is to make sure it's there at primary. To, no pun intended, sow the seed, start it growing, water it and encourage it. And that young plant that's growing in there, then when they get to teenage years, well, it goes dormant it's it's a peculiarity but it happens and i think just don't fuss yourself they'll learn about plants in biology for you know gcse's and a levels and then it becomes kind of work um, you often lose them that middle period if you like you will get them back if you're patient as soon as they have a home and a bit of garden of their own and those seeds that you sowed with them and in them all those years ago will suddenly spring back to life and mine remember things that they learned as children at school. And the grandchildren now, when they have forest school outside in a bit of woodland or on on a bit of grassland or meadow, they remember it. I don't, I think it's probably like trying to get um, teenagers and 20-somethings to watch BBC One on a Tuesday night. You know, there is no (laughs) point. They're streaming, they're online, they're doing the, don't fight a battle that you're not, choose your battles, you know. They'll come back. Get it all in when they're young, get the interests, the fascination, and also the knowledge that it's important, which they take on board very young. I mean, my, you know, six, seven, eight-year-olds now, they know that it's important out there, and they tell me things about conservation, which we need to do they know that now. They've got other things like boys or girls when they're in their teens, depending yep. on uh, and, what, and horses and all that kind of thing. So don't flog a dead horse. Um, if, if the children or the teenagers who are interested will stick with it, you can't make the others. Just be content to know that hopefully you've done your homework before that um, uh, with them, encouraging them, and that they will come back.
0: Okay, okay. Sounds good advice to me. I'm, I'm very interested to see what happens with, uh, with my daughter as she, as she gets older. At the moment, she still, she still loves the spot of gardening, but we'll, we'll see. Interesting times around the corner. Um, now, we've, we've talked quite a bit about your, your two grandchildren, and I just wondered, w- what's it like sharing your garden now with grandchildren? Is it different to, to when you were sharing a garden with, uh, with your own children back then?
1: No, I don't think it is. I think it's just the same, but later. I've got four. I've got two boys Two girls. Uh, the boys are eight and six and the girls are seven and five. So I've got eight, seven, six, five. It's very hard for grandfathers when they start one starts overlapping the other. But they're nicely a year apart now. Yeah. Uh, and they come around here and it's just I don't know, in a way, I suppose perhaps I'm more aware of their attitude to my garden. And we've got um, a decent sized garden and, and, and you know about two two or three acres of wildflower meadow with rides most through it. Well, they love running through there. And I confess, I have bought a small, a tiny, well, I say tiny, it's about four feet wide by five or six feet long, a (laughs) battery-powered Land Rover. So it's, a, it's you a must ped- be the best granddad going. Oh, yeah, but at the moment, they don't go on it unaided, but they can be driven round. Well, they drive it, but I sit on the back of it, you know, just making sure we don't go into trees and stuff. Well, then, granddad, can we have the land? Grandpa, can we have the gland rover out, you know? So, yeah, I'm an indulgent grandpa, I suppose, really, you know, but, but they love running. Oh, we have we made a mound in the corner of the field, literally, and it, they call it the mountain, and it's got a spiral going up, and you sit on a bench on the top. Well, they love sledging. Down that when there's snow or sliding down it and rolling down it in summer. Can we go up the mountain? I I mowed a maze. In part of this, this meadow, I've got uh, with a mower, and I, I made a little s- square in the middle and then mowed my way out in a sort of, you know, confusing maze. And they love that as well. The, the, the meadow's just been cut now, so it's all flat. Uh, so that means that this weekend, the Land Rover will be out and they'll be able to go anywhere. So <laughs> really great. Be freestyling, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it is not made by Land Rover. It doesn't cost what a Land Rover <laughs> costs, I have to tell you this, lest you should think I've got into the Rolls Royce uh, level of uh, income. But it, they just love it. And I think you do find yourself, what, should, what can I do that they might be interested in? Oh, they love, we got fish in the pond. I didn't put the wildlife pond. Roach came from heaven knows where on the feet of a duck, I suppose. There are hundreds of fish in this big wildlife pond they have got. And we, we feed, throw food for the fish, and they come up the top like piranhas in that James Bond film, you know, for <laughs> the food. Anything like that, I just love doing things which um, capture their imagination. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Now... What would you say
0: to any, any parents or, or grandparents out there that would like to be gardening a bit more with their children or, or trying to connect with uh, nature and the outside world a little bit more? You know, what, what advice would you give to, to the adults that
1: don't quite know where to start, perhaps? Well, don't lecture. Um, and try and find exciting things. You know, your priorities won't be their priorities. You can't really give them a lecture on soil (laughs) and the importance of fertiliser. That's a big switch. But they like creepy crawlies and they like worms and anything that moves, you know, crawls or what Bird feeders, you know, they like lists too. If you can... um, get them to make a list of all the birds that come to the bird feeder and what they are. And they start. And you get an identification sheet on the wall and they tick off what what's come, things like that. Rather like my grandson and the butterflies, it's the same sort of thing. Um, if you want them to grow things, get them to grow things that do tend to grow relatively quickly. You know, when you're sowing your first veg... Make it radishes. Mercifully, my grandchildren like eating radishes, even though they're rather hot, because they do come up quickly. And lettuces. They loved growing tomatoes, which I was pleased about, because they take a bit longer. Um Because patience isn't the the, the most uh, to the forefront in their lives, you know. Um, But you can't keep growing stuff they don't like eating, otherwise they don't see the point in it, you
0: know. Yeah. Okay. So I guess... You know, we're coming to the end of our time now, so I'm sort of just thinking, you know, if what what's the message for gardening and young people and families? You know, why is it important? Why why do we need to be connected to to everything that's outside our back door?
1: If there is no understanding in future generations of how the world works, and there's no excuse for not understanding it now with all the work that people like David Attenborough are doing, all the wildlife and natural history programs, all the information about global warming and climate change, which the young are very aware of, we have to translate that into positive action, It's not just about going on a march. It's not just about watching a television programme and worrying about global warming and climate change. It's about doing your individual bit. Yes, it's about talking to those in power and making sure that they realise it, and on a global scale, doing something about it. But there's always a feeling when it's little old you that you can't make a difference globally but you can make a big difference to your little patch outside the back door. More birds will come in, more insects will come in. Insects, very underrated. Um, You know, there are more microorganisms in one handful of soil than there are human beings on the planet. That's something to boggle your mind, isn't it? And that is what keeps us alive. And just getting that across and coupling that with the thrill Catching a butterfly, looking at a dragonfly, feeding fish. Open up your children's eyes and minds to the joy of the natural world. Encourage them to know and believe that they can make a difference not just by worrying about it or shouting about it, but being actively involved. And that way we will end up with with a planet which is in better heart and gardens, tiny little gardens, which all join together to make a massive patchwork quilt which does alter lives and make sure that this planet that we live on stays green and stays healthy. Thanks for listening to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast. So if you've enjoyed this episode, please tell others about it and rate us in your podcast provider app. And we'll see you next time.